I'm Neil Wilkins, and welcome to The Mindful Living Show. I'm here today with Jessica Whitcup-Fagan, founder of It's a Shovel, an organisation that helps businesses to create reputation with purpose. Good morning, Jessica. Morning. How are you today? I'm very good, thank you. And this is going to be a really interesting conversation, I think, because we're talking about the new normal is here. And this is going to be something which is going to be really interesting from a reputation perspective. Um, tell the viewers a little bit about yourself and why you focus on reputation with purpose. Sure. Um, so I actually come from a public relations background, um, spent my entire career, um, and then was my last kind of corporate role was at SAB Miller. Um, I don't know if you all remember them, but they were kind of a FTSE top 20 company, and I managed reputation for them in Africa. And being in such an amazing big corporate company, um, I saw kind of firsthand how sustainability and working as a corporate citizen, as a force for good, um, not only had huge uh, multiplier impact on the communities in which they worked, but drove the reputation and the performance of the business. Um, and they were very forward thinking in reputation management. And um, they did lots of investment in global studies, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it kind of exposed me to this whole world. Um, then when I went out on my own, I kind of combined these two passions. So reputation and sustainability are really the two sides of the same coin. Um, the way the world is moving and shifting to this new world order, the new economy, um, the reputational um, of a business is driven predominantly by what I call the purpose-related elements. So it's leadership, governance, citizenship, and workplace. Um, and over the last decade, we've seen that as a relatively stable um, well, stable, the purpose-related elements are coming more and more um, to the fore. But what had always been the kind of order of those um, drivers has switched fundamentally um, in the last few months. Um, so RepTrack, who um, do global studies on reputation, um, they've just been in field and they've released some data that shows that workplace is now actually the number one driver of reputation, which means that's how you're treating your employees. Um, second is how you are looking after your community, and only third is how you're looking after your customers. So this focus on purpose, I'm pleased to say, is very much alive and well, and I think even though companies might not be putting the word purpose to it, um, it is how most companies are responding to this crisis. There have been some noticeable exceptions, um, but it's been an, fantastic to view as a practitioner preaching all this stuff to see people really stepping up to the plate on purpose. And there will be long-term reputational and bottom line benefits for businesses as a result of this. And that's certainly something I want to uh, to come on to in a little while, because I think this whole kind of positioning of an organization's reputation in line with kind of like leveraging commercial benefit, I think is, is a really interesting uh, conversation to be had. So I think we'll, we'll come on to that. Definitely. You've, I guess, sort of amalgamated all of the experience and the wisdom and the evidence that you've collated over the, um, the years kind of exploring this and researching and working with clients. Um, and I understand you've got a, a framework, which is, I think you're calling it reputation with purpose. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that framework. 
Sure. So it starts with the premise, and not just a premise, scientific proof that um, companies with a strong reputation perform better. So obviously, it's in everybody's best interest to work on their reputation. In fact, the stats, I think, about a 1% lift in reputation is worth an extra 2.6% of market cap. So I mean, obviously, that's shared company or listed companies um, lingo, but basically means your business is worth 2.6% more. Um, so significant numbers at play. Um, the framework starts with CEO. This has to be a top-down driven initiative. Um, you have to have a CEO who believes in purpose, um, who understands that managing reputation is important um, and is prepared to do the work. Um, we then work together with the executive team to define the purpose for the organization. And that's not just a kind of thumbstick, you know, we like saving, I don't know, the rainforest. It's really exploring your value chain, um, looking at the six capital models, where can you create value, um, all stakeholders, not just shareholders. Um, and what is most important to your business, where are your biggest risks and opportunities along your value chain in terms of the um, 17 sustainable development goals. Um, and then I also use the Ikigai framework, which is a Japanese concept of your reason for being, which looks at um, kind of what do you love, what are you good at, what can you get paid for, and what does the world need? And using all this input, we then determine what that business can do, how they can use their scale and their skill to make a positive impact on the world. So either an environmental impact or a social impact or both. Um, that then gets translated into a number because it can't get measured, it doesn't get managed, um, and it has to be real. Uh, you, the whole concept of greenwashing and purpose washing is something that's quite big. Um, and that's where people kind of think up some purpose and it's really just a ploy to make more money without really making a positive impact. My kind of purpose, reputation with purpose is it has to be real. So this number, your purpose target, then gets translated into everybody in the organization's KPIs. It becomes part of performance management. It is real to every single person in the organization. Um, they can see the impact they are making. Um, and that very much then becomes part of the culture and the DNA of the organization. So there's quite a bit of internal um, work that needs to be done. Um, so it's employee engagement work, internal communications work, as I said, performance management work, some co um, coaching, um, but really it has to live internally. Like charity, reputation starts at home um, and you really have to have a proud and passionate workforce truly working hard on this purpose for it to be real. Once you've got the story, once you've got the single version of the truth, it's about sharing that story with your stakeholders. Um, and obviously that comes into the realm of traditional marketing and PR, but I prefer to use a more strategic kind of stakeholder engagement approach. Um, whilst you want to create value for all stakeholders, there are still certain stakeholders who have greater influence on your business than others. Um, for example, if you're in a highly regulated market, um, you know, the government regulators have huge influence over your business, um, and it's how you communicate and share these stories with them. Um, but through this whole cycle, um, reputation is built. Reputation is a long-term um, effort. 
Um, it's, uh, it's that famous quote that everyone quotes, you know, ruin it in a day, but it is. It's something you've got to work on consistently over time um, and have everybody in the business aligned to that vision. And when it's about purpose and you are, vision is about making a difference, it's amazing how much buy-in you can get for a story like that. Employees want to work for companies that make a difference. They don't want to be there just with, you know, to make some shareholder rich. They want to make a difference in the world. It's a model that really works. Um, I've drawn on a lot of other sources um, to put into my model. I use the um, sustainable development goals that I said as, as my main framework um, because that's kind of tried and trusted and out there. Uh, interestingly, earlier this year in Davos, they announced their 2030 ambition. So we've only got 10 years left to meet the, the initial sustainable development goals. Um, and we really need to focus now on doing those hard yards. Um, obviously, the COVID situation has, I wouldn't say derailed, but um, well, certainly in terms of climate change, it's given the Earth a very welcome breather, but it's made people realize that this is not just a climate emergency. There are societal issues which are as important. In fact, I would hesitate to, I would say that, you know, societal issues are what's driving the environmental issues you know when you have populations explosions and you have um you have poverty on the kind of scale that you have when you have gender inequality on this kind of scale that we have the environmental issues will follow the really interesting point for me i think is this this whole concept of sort of top-down collaboration I, I was trying to sort of summarize what you were um in my head what you were describing there and i think for me it's this whole idea of top-down collaboration so in other words this is driven by the decision makers in any organization but it requires that kind of broader collaboration not only with staff with the in the management team but also as you describe it you know these wider stakeholders and i think that's quite an interesting thing because a lot of the time then that probably begins to define when we're talking about this new normal it is about collaboration isn't it because we can't as individual organizations small businesses large businesses we can't really do any of this in isolation so from your perspective then is this new normal is it kind of really driven by collaboration because it seems like that's the consistent theme here Absolutely. So, I mean, even before this, one of the sustainable development goals is partnerships. So there's a recognition long ago that we have to work with this together. Um, but this new crisis has shown exactly that. Um, it's amazing the kind of collaborations that have come out. So, I mean, GSK, um, GSK Klein and Sanofi, the two major uh, pharmaceutical companies who have been arch rivals since the beginning of time, um, recently announced a, kind of a partnership that they were going to be working on a vaccine together. Um, the, both companies saw a massive spike in their share prices as a result of this. Um, and it really, it's just kind of one example of collaborations are absolutely the zeitgeist of the time. Um, we cannot do this individually. And together, because I think there's also, we're going to be going through such a tough time economically, you know, work together. And as we've seen this all over the, certainly the small um, business sector in the last few months, that everybody's like doing stuff together now. How can we, you know, maybe join forces in what's its necessity? Uh, how does that thing go? Necessity is the mother of all invention or whatever. You know, now's time. We've got lots of problems to solve. Let's, you know, two heads are better than one. Let's do this.
and that's definitely you can see it um, in terms of the research consumers are looking for that too I guess on, on a really positive spin, you, you can imagine organisations getting you know, huge benefit and, and looking at innovation, looking at the way forward. In lots of ways, and I guess opinion is divided on this one, is that it's if you're doing this right and doing this well, then it's a really good thing that you can use as part of your communication sort of framework, as part of the way that you um, kind of go to market with your messages. There is this obviously big challenge about sort of not doing it properly. Um, how, how would you sort of um, view organisations who either greenwash or are kind of almost using this whole kind of momentum, if you like, that um, the whole economy is now focusing in this direction? They're not really doing too much, and yet they're trying to create a reputation that possibly, if you were to delve a little deeply, um, wouldn't stand the test of time and is actually a little bit dubious. Kind of, how, how would you deal with something? Like that. The market is always right. People will see through insincere, fake, inauthentic um, efforts. Um, I'm not particularly worried about them. They will, you know, the market's always right. They'll be figured out. I think what's more tricky is companies who are genuinely doing things and who are genuinely trying. Um, when they get their communications wrong, that upsetting because they do deserve um, the benefit of it um, but the way to communicate what you are doing is needs to be humble it needs to be authentic it needs to be organic you need to be communicating a lot at the moment um, and not for the sake of fix just for the sake of doing it um, you need to be putting your message out there all the time um, it's a great time to be using your leadership team to be sharing those messages organically on their own pages. Uh, it's been shown in this last set of research that it's owned media that's um, getting the most traction and is believed the most, obviously. Um, so on your own website, on your social pages, but not by promoting those posts with you know, billions. It's about natural, organic, authentic messages. And with any kind of initiative like this, having third party people speak about what you've done is always the most powerful way of doing it. So if you're helping, I don't know, your local community by handing out food parcels or whatever it is, you know, having those people talk about what you do is always more powerful than you saying what you've done. So there's something in this then that even though there might be sort of commercial benefit of, and um, we might use the term leverage, um, sort of leveraging, you know, positive um, messages, we even call it positive spin on the things that you're doing. But it feels like there has to be sort of a subtlety and a gentleness to it rather than it being really sort of overtly commercial. It's like, hey, guys, you know, this is what we achieved. This is what we've done. Here's all the numbers. Here's all the big figures. It feels like it's much more about the, the experience and something a little softer and more gentle so it feels like this kind of authenticity needs to I guess for some organizations almost kind of go against their sort of typical brand position absolutely so um, marketing people are all about campaigns and sales you know driving sales consumers are absolutely not ready to be sold to yet um, this gentle you know here we are we're doing it is yes maintain your brand presence 
but this is not a time to sell. This is about sharing corporate stories, not about sharing brand messages. That's going to differentiate those who have tangibility and sort of legs on the other side of this situation from those who, um, I guess, are going to be discovered. And it's going to be, I think, really, really important for brands to kind of understand to both how far to push it and kind of what the boundaries are, but also how to maintain that sort of going through because this is, this is the new normal. You know, this this style of communication isn't going to go away. So um, can you give any examples of any sort of um, organisations, either large or small, who are kind of doing this kind of thing really well at the moment? There's a lot of noise out there. I think, as we know, everyone's turned to social media, Zoom, our whole virtual world is just flooded at the moment. Um, I can't say I've seen anything that's been particularly amazing. Um, I think brands have seen the big budget brands um, have done their, their necessary bits. So, for example, Unilever did one with some hair care product and, oh, we're all going to come out stronger at the end of this. I mean, it's, I don't know, are we really going to be stronger? I think we might be wiser. Maybe with all the walking and exercise, we might be a bit stronger. But, it's, you know, it's a little bit off message. And Unilever is actually a company that always gets stuff done really, really well. Um, I work with the Unilever team um, in South Africa. Um, and they, I mean, for example, today they're putting out a, a message um, from all their leadership teams saying thank you to the country. And it's amazing. It's not about, you know, brand. It's about seeing the CEO at home in his house saying, you know, thanks. And it's just a really heartfelt message. And that's the kind of messaging that needs to be done. Um, and I think more than you know, big visible out there brand messages. I think it's about the stakeholder communication. So how are you talking to your suppliers? What does your one-on-one -on -one communication with your customers look like? Um, and as I said, most importantly, it's the communication with your employees at this time. That is, should be every company's number one focus for now. I guess that comes into, um, sort of brings into play um, the idea of um, sort of personal branding, because within organisations, often there are um, the face of the organisation. It doesn't necessarily always have to be, you know, the chief exec. It can be, you know, sort of anyone who has an interesting story to play on behalf of the organisation. How, how this sort of time when obviously things are both quite sensitive, but also really um, sort of full of potential, how can the sort of the idea of personal brand kind of come into the more sort of corporate or business communications? Yeah, so there's two elements to this. So firstly, in terms of CEO branding, that is a massively powerful way to build reputation of a business. The brand and the reputation of the leader Different studies show different amounts, but up to 60% in some industries as based on the reputation of the of the leader. So I think we've gone, it's funny, kind of we had those hero CEO days kind of in the Jack Welsh time, and then it kind of all went a little bit fuzzy. And now we're seeing with this whole trend towards CEO activism, uh, we're seeing how the importance it is, or how important it is for CEOs to have carefully curated and managed brands. Um, and th that's not about being fake and spinning it. It's about understanding how powerful that um, relationship is and about using that strategically. Um, you, obviously the CEO needs to be completely authentic in what they stand for. You can't 
now pretend to be the savior of all when actually he's just another duty greedy capitalist. But that's that's the change we're seeing. Those are the types of CEOs who are coming into businesses now, who are leading big businesses, and who will be the ones who will be instrumental in creating the change and creating this new normal and thriving in this post-COVID world. So that's the one hand, that's CEO branding. Um, the other hand is you're talking about employees, and that's the organic conversation that I'm talking about. Third party endorses, reputation starts at home, etc. And using your employees, obviously within a policy framework and everybody properly trained and understanding what you know you can or can't do, um, is incredibly powerful. Um, particularly for companies who have huge um, numbers of employees. Um, and you know, it's a time like this when you're looking at retrenchments or redundancies and staff on furlough, it can be risky, but it can also have some really, you know, heartfelt stories of, you know, just ordinary people who've maybe been put on furlough and, you know, how their company is really treating them, you know, with respect and care and helping them. I mean, that's the most powerful endorsement a company can ever have. So companies shouldn't be afraid to let their employees speak. Um, obviously, it needs to be managed. Um, but it also has to be authentic. Really, really useful insight here. And I'm sure you know, everybody's getting a lot of value from some of the ideas and the ways that they can kind of reflect back into their own organisation. For, for you, what's your big vision um, sort of on the other side of all of this? You know, we talked about this whole thing about the new normal purpose-led um, businesses in this kind of new shape and new style of economy. Where do you see this all going? What would be your kind of ideal vision for the future? There's a lot of talk at the moment about the green recovery. Um, and I think that is the only way to go, quite frankly. We were already at such a critical juncture in terms of climate change and global warming that those initiatives have to carry on. And there's a lot of research that shows that green um, recovery methods, um, investment in green uh, power and green um, industry, et cetera, will actually create more jobs than going back to kind of the old, bad old ways. So it's something, I mean, I don't think there's a perfect roadmap out there yet, but it's something we need to all be thinking about. Um, and if you're going to be innovating in the direction, then that's the way to go. Um, I was introduced to the Futures Thinking Framework um, developed by Bill Sharp this week and it's absolutely brilliant. They have their three horizons model and that really looks at this. So if you look at business as normal, kind of will eventually uh, out. I mean, that's just the way the big businesses go. Um, particularly in the old take make waste economy, those businesses will, they are going to die out. And then if you look at the kind of the ideal world of what you would wish be, those have quite a long leg before they take off. So what are the innovations and the disruptions we can bring into the market now? And of course, this now is the perfect opportunity to be bringing disruptions into the market. Um, what can we do to kind of shake up the trajectory? So bring the old down quicker and bring the new in faster. Um, and I think that's, that's what's probably taking up a lot of headspace and the boards and the CEOs of the big businesses around the country. And for the smaller businesses, equally, equally, um, you know, equally too. Particularly, obviously, the online businesses, I think a lot of them are really 
in that space already anyway, any kind of digital or tech business. Um, but old, more traditional style businesses, farming or manufacture or um, services industries, how can you change your model? And there's been so much talk about pivoting. I'm quite tired of it, but that's kind of really what you need to do is now, you know, you've seen what happens when it all falls apart. How can you build it back together in a way that is more sustainable? If anybody is beginning this journey, maybe they've been putting out a little bit of content on social media, maybe they've been thinking about some of the innovations that you've been talking about. Um, what would be your top tip for them to begin this journey? I mean, if this is very early days for them, where, where would they get started? I think the biggest issue we need to get right is there's a couple different phases that people need to be planning for. So it's kind of how to manage this crisis, how to deal with the recession that's more than likely going to be coming our way, how to take advantage of the rebound and when that rebound is likely to be, plus plan for the longer term horizon. So it's a lot of um, thinking that needs to be done. Um, it's one of the problems is that we're in an incredibly stressful and fearful space for so many people. Um, and that creates tension in your brain. It makes you more stupid. In fact, 25% less intelligent is what the number says. Um, and I think lots of people feel like a bit of a brain fog at the moment. Um, so you really need to clear your mind, create space and time and mindfulness just to let all of this internalize. And I know companies are under pressure and they need to do and get and, you know, should have been done yesterday. And, but I really think top tip, just take a brain day and I don't know, listen to Bach or go for a walk or but like properly be mindful and let this new, let it emerge. It's going to be an evolution. There's no blueprint anywhere. Nobody's got the magic formula for how to make it all perfect into the future. But be mindful do a green recovery, look at value creation for all your stakeholders, because if it's only for the shareholder, it will, it's doomed, doomed to failure. So if somebody is looking to get some guidance and some support and maybe a little bit of hand-holding over these first uh, few steps that they're looking to take, um, how would they get in contact with you? Sure, so the company's called It's a Shovel, uh, so hopefully you won't forget that. Uh, website is itsashovel.com. You can sign up for my newsletters there, is a uh, get in touch form, or you can email me directly at jessica at itsashovel.com. So Jessica, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure and good luck to you and stay safe and stay healthy and stay happy.